You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Hey, good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Hey, turn in your Bible. Oh, come on. That was lame. You guys doing all right? All right, all right, turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. You don't seem excited. I'll fix that in a little bit here. Just kidding. Um, anyways, uh, we are so excited, and aloha to you. We want to welcome you guys to Shore Break. If you are here for the first time, uh, we are equally excited that you are here. Um, we are a church that is all about Jesus. We uh, are all about his name. We seek to make much of his name. And so that is what we are doing. And we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. That is what we do. We study through books of the Bible. And so we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes. You can turn and make your way to chapter 3. We're going to be in part of chapter 3 and part of chapter 4 this morning. And Solomon is the author, I believe, it's debatable, but nonetheless, it is written from the perspective of Solomon, who is exhausted All pleasure under the sun. He tried out pleasure. He tried out the party scene. And he siphoned every ounce of pleasure he could. And in the end, he was still left wanting more. And all he walked away with, the return on investment for investing his entire life into pleasure. By the way, he took not like a week at it. Oh, let me just see how much pleasure I can enjoy in a week. He threw his whole life into it. Years At least 14 years. At least 14 years, we know for sure. Then he turns to work. Pleasure didn't work? Then maybe work will bring me satisfaction. If I do enough, if I work enough, if I somehow, through work, can find the meaning and purpose of life, then. But did that work out for him? It did not. Work didn't work out. And so he he then turned into the beginning of Ecclesiastes 3 to his own sovereignty or other known, other Uh, known as control. That's what sovereignty means. But time has a way of ripping control out of our hands, does it not? That if we spend enough time living in this life, there are things that will come, good circumstances and bad circumstances that come to show we have nothing is in control at all. In fact, this week I was out surfing trying to have a good time and the swell was building on, you know, and I was like, I'm going to sit a little bit inside and if a big enough set comes in, I'll just paddle out and make it before it just trashes me. I thought I was sovereign for a moment, even after preaching that we are not in control. Guess what happened? Double overhead set comes in and like I got the beating of my life. I couldn't control it. We are not in control. We are not sovereign. Only God is sovereign and he allows good and bad circumstances in life, to rip the control out of our hands. We learn from our preacher that for every season in life, not under the sun, but he uses another phrase, under heaven, God has complete and utter control over it. Telling the bird where to go eat. Like God's like, oh bird, you're going to go there and you're going to go eat. We don't have that control. God does. In fact, we know that God determines the place we live and the time we live and the history of the timeline of the earth. So God is totally in control. So no matter what happens in life, Solomon said, he challenged us to enjoy life. Enjoy life when things are going well and enjoy life when things are not going well. Why? Why would he ever tell us that? Well, if you look at verse 11 from chapter 3, he says, He made everything beautiful in its time. He makes everything beautiful in his time. So today in our text, Solomon is going to press some questions on us. As we know, Ecclesiastes is a book about the questions of life of which the rest of the Bible answers. Hopefully you've made your way to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Let's all stand for the reading of the word of God, if you're able to, and we are going to pick it up in verse 16 of chapter 3. Moreover, I saw the sun that is in the place 
of justice. Even there, there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. What happens to the children of man? What happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. A man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All from the dust and to dust all return. All knows whether the spirit of man goes up. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes downward into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better that man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On one side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are under the sun. Holy Father, we come to you. Sovereign, you are fully in control. We are in desperate need of your love and your wisdom So we ask that you would give us wisdom and understanding what you have said. We want to humble our hearts to hear what the Spirit is saying. So God, would you melt our hearts of stone? God, would you open up the eyes of our hearts and the ears of our soul to to really absorb what you've said? Your word is alive. Your word is true. In fact, it's the truest thing we know. It is the most relevant thing we can stand on because you, standing outside of time, have given us your word, and your word is timeless. So may we receive it. Would you help me be faithful to what you have said? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Feel free to take a seat. If you live long enough you will experience death and the pain of death. Sounds simple enough, right? Yeah, of course I am. No, but really, do you believe that? Do you know that? Or have you found yourself pushing aside the realities of death? I know we are a relatively young church, and if you are older, we are grateful that you are in here. And those who are older typically have a bit more of experience in dealing with the realities of death than many of us who are younger. Not always, but that is usually the case. In fact, there was someone in my family who, as he grew older and he lived a long and full life, at the end of his life, I would walk in on him on the mornings on the computer looking up obituaries, reading of his friends from the hometown that he used to live at who died, or reading about other people from other areas that he knew. And, 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 it, and it somehow brought him like a weird comfort. Now we don't, for most of us, don't really understand that. We don't grasp that. We, we're like, what? That, that's weird. It's still weird to me. Not going to lie. I think that's strange. Looking up for your dead friends that you might know. Because for most of us, we don't like talking about death. Death is something we avoid. We are terrified by it. We close our eyes towards it. And though we know about death, we don't like to deal with our death. Something we like to pretend that's not there. It's something we like to push away and not dwell upon. We've done a good job at it. We have domesticated death in our modern age better than any other generation before us. If there's a car accident and you're pulling up to the scene later, there's a body bag covering the body that has been destroyed. 
There are ambulances that rush our loved ones away. If you choose not to ride with them, you don't have to. And you, they can be rushed away and you would never see it. There are ICUs and emergency rooms where, where there, are, there are needles and, and there, there are mops and things are sterilized. We've become numb to it, many of us. We miss the realities of death. But you know, it was just a couple of hundred years ago that if a body of a loved one pass away, passed away in your household, you know what you would do with it? You would build the casket and let that body rest on your dining room table for a few days before you buried it out in your backyard or at a church locally in that area. Don't get any ideas for the church, by the way. We can't do that here. Even my wife's side of the family, who is from, originally from Romania, they would do that. My mother-in-law remembers her brother who passed away, who died at the young age of, I think, five or so, was his body left on the table for a week or so, stinking, rotting, decaying. We don't understand that today. Many of us have been removed from the realities of death. But if you live long enough, you will experience the pain of death and eventually death itself. Steve Jobs, founder of Apple Computers and Macintosh, he's a genius. Uh, Everything that we use today for technology has been influenced by his invention, says this, and I quote, No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. Isn't that true? Come on, you know it's true. For most of us anyway. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be. Because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's agent of change. It clears out the old to make way for the new. And here in Ecclesiastes, our author, the preacher, Solomon, is putting a comma in our life. He is forcing us to pause, to stop, to think. And what is the word and the comma that he wants us to dwell upon? Death. He wants us to dwell and to think about our death. And even though this isn't the first time our preacher, our teacher, our instructor is going to bring up death, and it's not the last time he will bring it up either, this account of Solomon talking about death is the most explicit account of All of the times he talks about it. Because there is a lot for us to learn about life. There's a lot for you to learn about your own life when thinking about your own death. And because our preacher in Ecclesiastes would agree with Steve Jobs that death is the agent of change. It clears out the old. Not even like, all right, old people out, new people in. No, he's even talking about from a spiritual sense. The old things that we need to die to ourselves to and areas that we need to become alive in our life to Christ. And I'm guessing that if we took a survey this morning of what we would talk about in church for the next, all right, we're going to talk about, we're going to do a 10-week series. What are all the topics you want to talk about? If we were to do that and took a survey, you would not pick death at all. It would not be on your list. We don't like talking about it. I know we've talked about it a little bit in a couple messages before. We're going to talk about it a lot today. And the reason why is because this is where Solomon is taking us. This is where our preacher wants us to follow him. Look at life. And look at death. My, uh, my boy last night at dinner was praying for church. My kids pray for you guys. They pray for the leadership of this church. And uh, he's f- six. And one thing he was uh, praying for last night is, I thought it was awesome. He's like, and Lord, um, God, help daddy preach the word and to not lie to the people. <laughs> like, Amen, brother. <laughs> That's so good. <clears throat> if we were to breeze over this topic I would be lying to you. I would not be faithful to what God has said. And so I'm going to preach this, and we're going to talk about this, and we're going to deal with this, even though it is unpopular. Because I love you and because I care for you. Because there is wisdom, as we will soon discover, at looking at our own death. 
There is wisdom in that. So look at verse 16 of chapter 3 as we read. Moreover, Solomon says, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and every work. It's like, wow, preacher, I liked last week. Let's talk more about how God makes everything beautiful in its time. Let's talk about enjoying life. But here's Solomon. He says, but you cannot enjoy life fully without understanding the harsh realities of death. Why? Because death keeps us humble and death gives you and I perspective. Death keeps us humble. It keeps every single one of us in our place. Like we said last week, death is a great neutralizer. And the king, the preacher, says that under the sun, the things that happen under the sun, even in the places where justice is supposed to happen, even in the place where righteousness is to dwell, like the court system, like the government, like in leadership, Solomon says, even there, in places of justice, wickedness is amidst it. And he says in verse 16, basically, that under the sun, if this is all that there is, and if death is the end for all of us, then what does this life even matter? If there is no justice under the sun, does good matter anymore? And does bad matter? Does pleasure even have a purpose? Does success bring any meaning to our life? See, Solomon is saying that if this is it, if this is all there is, and there is nothing awaiting for us in the afterlife, this is all vanity. Does anything really matter? That if this is it, this is that justice is simply a mirage. That if you were to turn to this world to find justice in this life, apart from God, under the sun, that justice is a mirage. That you can desire it, that you can want it, that you can pursue after it. And no matter how bad you want it, it is always there on the horizon, unattainable, never tasteable, and you can never experience it. And that is what sets Solomon off here. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's ticked because the wrongs will not be made right. Because the innocent are condemned and the guilty are liberated. You can feel his frustration in this text because if you look at verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under heaven, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. The oppressed, the innocent, no one to comfort them. On one side of the oppressors, there was power, and there too was no one to comfort them. Here our preacher is demanding justice for all wickedness in verse 16 and verse 1 of chapter 4. And he says in verse 17, God will judge the righteous. Why? Ultimate justice cannot be brought by man ever. Only from God. Because under the sun, justice is an impossibility. And Solomon is demanding justice and his heart, even under the sun, cries out to God for God to help for all the injustice. And we look now at verse 18, making our way. He said, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. That's encouraging, isn't it? Wow, thanks Solomon. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. A man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. After digressing about all the injustice that Solomon sees under the sun, he, we read here from him, shares with us that just as the animal dies, 
so do we die. That our end is the exact same as our pet. Have you ever thought about that? We've tried the fish tank thing in our house for a while. You guys done that at all? Made that mistake? Oh, it's a mistake. I'm telling you right now. It is a mistake. Um, we haven't gotten like the big fish tank though. We haven't like poured investment money into it and got the pump with the lasers and any. We just did like the simple bowl with the rocks in it and one fish. That's all we did. Uh, and you know, we got the beta fish because they supposedly are last longer and they're more beautiful and like three times as much. And so I think we're on beta fish number three or four right now. I think. Over like a a year and a half time period. And so we first got the bull and we were all excited and we brought the fish home. The kids named the fish. So everyone's really excited to feed him. Even I was excited at this point because I'm a little cynical at times. And so the kids feed him, my wife feeds him. And then I'm like, I come home I'm like, oh, you must be hungry, right, buddy? And I feed him. And then like two hours later, he's dead, belly up, huge stomach. We're like, what happened? We get another fish. Forget to change the water. Fish dies, probably suffocated. Poor fish. And, and then, the, I think number three fish, if we had four, I don't know if we've gone through three or four, I can't remember. I think number three fish, um, we just forgot to feed him. We became more and more negligent, and we forgot to feed him. And so we had some people over not too long ago, and they're like, so what's the name of your fish? We got, we got another one, I know. <laughs> it doesn't have a name. Like, you know the kids are over it when they haven't even named the fish. It's like, you want to name it, go for it, but we don't have a name. For the fish, and like a couple of nights ago, my wife was changing the water on the tank, and I just looked over. It's like, why do you even care about that fish? Like, why are you changing his water at this point? And 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 her answer was hilarious. She's like, I don't. It's not that I care about the fish, but do you know how much money we've spent on all these beta fish? And I was like, wow, wow. It's just a fish. It's here, and then it's gone. You know what's ironic? Just as the fish breathes and then it will breathe its last breath, so too I breathe right now and one day I will breathe my last breath. That I will share something in common with my Petco fish that was $14.99. No wonder Solomon is frustrated. That just like our pets die, we also die. That life is disposable. That our skin and bones is a rental. Our life is here and then it's gone. And so Solomon says, so then who cares about life? Who cares? Your life is here and then it's gone. James tells us that our life is like a puff of smoke. It's here and then it's gone. What is that? Puff of smoke literally means vapor. Our life is a vapor. Before we know it, it's all gone. And Solomon says, after all I've accomplished in my life so far, I've built the mansions, I've built the house of God, I've acquired all wisdom, I am going to die just like my pet. That the fool dies just like the wise. The just dies just like the wicked. The human dies just like the animal. And from a secular perspective, from Solomon here, he's giving us living life under the sun. True justice never happens on this earth apart from God. And if we leave God out of the picture, what difference is there between us and the animals? Did you know that scientifically, it cannot be proven that our life is any more valuable than the ant? If you were to take all the chemicals within our own body, we're, I don't know, was a couple dozen, I don't, know how many, I don't know how much it is, it's not a lot of money. That scientifically, we cannot even be proven. We are just like the rest of nature under the sun. Our life has no value. It is survival of the fittest. Free for all. Go for it, guys. See how it works out. Because if we disconnect our life from God, you guys, life becomes meaningless. 
And Paul elaborated on this reality more in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He said that if Christ has, been, has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Do you realize what Paul is saying there? That if Jesus Christ had not conquered sin and death and he had not rose and walked out of the grave three days later after he was murdered on a cross, that what is happening right now for all of us in this theater right now, this is all pointless. And he goes on to say, not only is that pointless, but this encourages me, my job would be pointless. I'd have to look for a job if Christ had not been raised from the dead. And he says, all of our faith is vanity if Christ Jesus is not alive. When you separate your life from God, what are you left with? You might as well live recklessly because you are just as the rest of the mammals and you might as well do it as they do it on the Discovery Channel. I'm serious. It's a free-for-all. Go for it. Sleep with them. Do that. Live as recklessly as you can. But some of you don't. Even though you are not a Christian, maybe you're in here this morning, some of you don't. Why? Well, we're coming there. We're getting there. Verse 20. All go to one place, and all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes downward and to the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better that man should rejoice in all of his work. For that is his lot. Solomon is saying under the sun, that is just the way the dice have been rolled under the sun. That is just what you get. Who can bring a man to see what will be after him? Now, uh, some pastors have lied to you and, and have used this verse to say that there is no eternal uh, hell or there is no afterlife of some form of punishment or some even say heaven, usually not pastors, but that is not what Solomon is saying here. God is revealing what life looks like apart from him. So life under the sun, in that vain state, life apart from God, Solomon asks the question, what happens to a man when he dies apart from God? He says that apart from Jesus, we are all like dust. We are born and to dust we disappear. And if you guys have ever heard the old school song, Dust in the Wind by Kansas, if you have not, you need to repent and listen to some good music. Just kidding. Kansas said in their song, Don't hang on. Nothing lasts but the earth and sun. All we are is dust and the wind. See, Ecclesiastes is challenging us to look beyond our last breath. Because if we don't, our life apart from God, all you are, all I am, is dust and the wind. To dust we've come and to dust we go. In this vain state, what happens to a man when he dies? Richard Dawkins, who was an evolutionist and atheist, said, probably one of the most well-known of modern day, in a question and answer on a different panel with other people, when being asked about the afterlife, said this. Let's be re realistic about this. We have brains. Our brains do the thinking. Our brains are going to decay, and that will be that. And everyone laughed in the studio. It's like, did you not see the vanity? He goes on to say, and I quote, but when you say, is this it? How much more do you want? This is wonderful. And no one laughed at that. I'm not here to slam Richard Dawkins, but let's be realistic. For some of you, maybe this life isn't all that bad, isn't all that painful, but for others of you, this life has been horrifically painful. 
and the suffering has been immense. You would not agree with what Richard Dawkins says. There's disease, cancer, mental illness, suffering, suffering, great suffering. In many countries today, there is slavery, sex trafficking, genocide. There are poor People who are so poor that they are starving to death because they do not have food. And did you know that there is enough food in this globe right now to feed everyone, yet people are starving to death? Is this really that wonderful? How much more could you want? And Solomon, our preacher, says, listen, under the sun, justice is not brought. Under the sun, you're going to die just like Fido dies. And under the sun, in the end, where does a man go? Where does he go? What is his end? The yoga instructor, the palm readings, the coworker, the scientist have no idea. And when you go and sit down at a funeral, you hear sometimes the most ridiculous things said. Not because people believe it, but because they just want to medicate themselves with weird things like saying, when you die, you're going to become a star or a chubby angel in heaven shooting arrows through your friend's hearts. Some stu- I've heard the stupidest stuff at wedding, or funerals. Weddings too, but mostly funerals. <laughs> They have no idea, though. The world has no idea what happens. And what I love with Solomon, our philosopher, our preacher, is doing here is he is turning the tables on the world. Where the world sits along and says, oh, yeah, Christians, oh, yeah, that's what you believe what the Bible says about the afterlife? Oh, yeah. Solomon flips it on, what do you believe about the afterlife? Oh, uh, I don't know if you watched that debate with Bill Nye and the other creationist. Very interesting to watch the debate nonetheless. But... There is a hopelessness within life where God is outside of the picture. Ecclesiastes is a book of questions of which the rest of the Bible answers. If the Old Testament is a coconut, the New Testament is a machete that opens up the coconut. Where we understand and we see the realities of God in the Old Testament. But when it comes to the New Testament, Christ is alive. The Spirit of God speaks to us. God's Word is alive and transforms us and shapes us. And through the Holy Spirit, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. And we can experience what God has said in His Word. Solomon's question here must be answered. Where does a man go when he dies? And the Bible does answer that. But so does the world. The world has an answer for that too. In fact, there are three general answers, three general things that are said about where does a man go after his death? The first is nowhere. And believe it or not, this is the least popular. Believe it, right? Because 80% of the population believes in some sort of afterlife, in some sort of Heaven, 80% of the population. So the, the Richard Dawkins, the, 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 the Darwinians, the evolutionists and atheists of this world, when it comes to the afterlife, their point of view is not that popular. And they evangelize their unpopular view, making it seem super popular, but the majority of us do not believe it. In fact, they have a problem on their hands because they believe in survival of the fittest. But many of them do not believe what they believe because if it's survival of the fittest and those who have special needs and who are handicapped, survival of the fittest, let them die. Seriously, right? If it's survival of the fittest, they do not fit within the creation of this world. They do not belong. And so, but do they do that? They don't ascribe to their own belief system in many areas of life, especially when it comes to obeying laws and moral code. That God has woven and intricately fabricated the, the way he designed this universe. To say that there is nowhere we go 
is a risky business. Because in the end, you're going to stand before God. And you're going to be a little surprised. And you're taking a huge risk. Listen, if that is you this morning, you are taking a huge risk. Now, I take risks. I have probably had over 100 stitches in my body. Planting this church was a huge risk financially. The, the, the stress that it's put on our own family, it's been a huge risk. God's been faithful through it, praise the Lord. I get thrown over the falls all the time. Those of you who have been see me out in the water, I'm not the greatest surfer. I, but I take risks because I enjoy surfing. But hear me out. This is one risk not worth taking. And many roll the dice and hope that it works out okay. Be careful. The second of what people believe when it comes to the afterlife is that we go somewhere. It's not that we don't go any, nowhere. It's that we go somewhere. It's usually um, through most uh, religions comes through, well, some religions, reincarnation. That is this idea that we come back again. We screwed up in our first life, so we get another shot at it. But the depressing thing about reincarnation, especially if you talk to those who believe in reincarnation, it's horrible. Because in reincarnation, you don't remember your past life. And you'll talk to a nut job here and there. So I'll remember my past life. I was a coconut on the shores of India. No, you weren't. I'm sorry, you weren't. But you will talk to some, most of these people, and they, have no, they don't remember their past life. And when they go into the next life, they won't remember the life that they're currently living. And then you ask them, well, have you arrived? Have you done it? Nope, I screwed up. So then what? Well, I get another shot at it. I get another chance at it. And you don't remember this life? No. Okay, so you get to live another life. You can't remember your past life. You start with a blank canvas again, but you never knew what you did wrong? Yeah. That sounds, I didn't say this, but that sounds like hell, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like giving a kid a soccer ball and say, you've never seen soccer, you don't know the game, you don't know the rules, just go in and figure it out. First time. Don't, 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 you better not be offside, you better know penalties, you better not screw it up. Here's the jersey, go. That's, it's horrible. It's this relentless life cycle of failure, but many believe in it. The third thing, which is the most popular than the other two, most religions of this world, the majority of them believe this, including Christians, is some sort of eternal state with a being or an eternal, unending life outside of the world we live in right now. It's this idea that there is some sort of a God who is heaven is in heaven waiting for us to die. And when we die, one day we will arrive at his pearly gates. And God is standing there at his pearly gates. And he's got a scale. And he's weighing our good intentions and weighing our good works and weighing all the bad things we've done in life. And he's like, all right, well, if, if, if you've done good at the scale tips this way, come on in. You've made it because you've done good things. You need to hear me on this, though. Many Christians believe that. And that is more dangerous than the other two. Do you know why? Because you are trying in your mind to make God unjust. You are requiring injustice on God's part to you who have sinned, to you who have messed up, who deserve eternal punishment in hell. Somehow thinking that, even though it's like, I mean, what if I just told you I murdered someone this morning, like murdered, and then I, and then I ran over a couple of pedestrians and left them in the hospital. But it's okay, I've done a lot of good things. I'm preaching the Bible right now. Are we cool, right? We're cool? No, you're not cool. Justice needs to be served. Just because I've done a zillion great things, even if I did one bad thing, does that somehow, I just murdered somebody, no big deal, we'll get over it. No, justice must be served. Because God is just, punishment for sin is coming for every soul. And to think we can earn favor from God would in turn make God unjust. Romans 3, 10 and 11 says that no one is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks after God. So there is this 
reality in scripture that we read of that in life under the sun, no one is righteous, no one understands, no one seeks after God. So what makes us think that apart from Jesus, we as sinners can enter into paradise apart from Jesus? Did Jesus not say, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one can come to the Father but by me? That means his salvation is by Jesus, and salvation is given to us through Jesus. It's only through him. So if you said the F-bomb 50 times in your life, but you said, I love you 51 times in your life, God's not like, well, I guess you get to go into heaven because you, you're good outweighed the bad. And honestly, honestly, that's how many of us think, even as Christians. We believe that somehow, as we do good things, that that, that makes God happy, and that God, when we arrive in heaven, whether it be at the pearly gates, or whatever you imagine in your mind, that we think we can earn his favor. In the end, where does a man go when he dies? For the person who, because of your sinful nature and your heart's desires, who've rebelled and sinned against God, which is every single soul, no one is righteous, no, not one. For the soul that does not love Jesus, they do not go to eternal paradise with Jesus forever in the new Jerusalem. And I, and I didn't say heaven. You know Why? Because have you looked at comic book heaven? Like it looks like hell. I mean, it, it's freaky. The way they p- portrayed heaven. Heaven isn't ch- eternity with Jesus Christ is where it's at. But for the soul that rejects Jesus, there is a lake of fire in outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is eternal punishment for sin. Where does a man go when he dies? For the soul that believes in Jesus, eternal life. For the soul that rejects Jesus Christ because of his own rebellion and his sinful nature, he goes to hell. Ephesians 2, Paul said, starting in verse 4, he said, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. How do we get to heaven? God, in his grace, makes us alive to Jesus Christ, and we are justified. Do you see how justification here is coming full circle? Do you see how justice is not ever had on this earth, but justice will be had beyond the sun? And for those who believe in Jesus Christ, who have been washed by his blood, who have been sealed and chosen before the foundations of the world by the Holy Spirit, you look forward to being with Jesus. Where does it go? a man go at death? For the Christian, he goes home. He sits at the table with Jesus Christ. He's dinner with them and he brings the jars of all the tears we've cried and all the pain and he shows us the scars and he lavishes his love and he shows us his glory we walk with him we get to talk with him guys heaven isn't a place but it's a person and it's Jesus Christ that's what we get to look forward to He pours out his limitless grace and kindness towards us for all eternity. So what about the good outweighing the bad? Then we get into heaven. No one gets into heaven because of anything good or bad they've done. But because of everything Christ Jesus has done for us. us. Because 
Jesus' death absorbed God's wrath and punishment towards us. You see that in Scripture. Jesus absorbed God's judgment and wrath and punishment on the cross for us. So for those who are Christians, the judgment has already, the gavel has been put down. You are justified. You are made right before God. God's wrath has been poured out towards you on his son, Jesus Christ. But if you do not love Jesus, if you don't have affection for Jesus, if you've not been saved by his grace and you have not placed your faith in him, your judgment has been placed on Jesus. Your judgment is coming. And justice will be had. And because you rejected Jesus and because of your heart, it's bent towards sin and rebellion against God, God in his justice will give what every single soul, including the Christian, deserves. Even though Christians don't get it, not because of anything done, but because of what God has done. That is hell. So what about justice then? Verse 1 of chapter 4. Again, I saw the oppression. Oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. And on the other side of the oppressors there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who is not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So what about justice? Will you or I ever bring justice? Guys, Solomon. Solomon! King of a nation couldn't even bring justice under the sun. Solomon couldn't do it. He looked at the corruption of his own heart and the corruption of mankind. He's like, there is no hope under the sun. With all of his power, with all of his influence, with all of his wealth, he is left saying that justice under the sun is hopeless. And better is the one who has not been born to see how bad this place really is. Only a judge can bring justice. Only a true ruler can usher in righteousness. Jesus, describing himself, describing his own purpose, said in John 5, 27, and he, speaking of God, has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. You guys, Jesus created this world. By him, through him, all things are made and held together, and Jesus will judge every soul. Only Jesus can bring justice because Jesus is the judge and he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. For those of us left under the sun, Jesus can comfort your oppression. Jesus saves the undeserved and know that Jesus is still on the throne. And that true justice is coming to everything. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Place your life in the hands of a sovereign God. Consider your death. Consider what Ecclesiastes asks us. Where does a man go in the end? You can never do enough. You can never do enough. But in Jesus Christ, we have everlasting life. Trust, have faith, and love Jesus. Lord, thank you for this time. Where through your word, you've forced us to stop, to think about uncomfortable things, to think about our animals, to think about our pets, that even just as they die, we die. To think about how under the sun, apart, life apart from you, God, all we are is dust in the wind. And that we can never have justice apart from you and that justice under the sun will never happen until you come again to judge the living and the dead. So Lord, we pray, come quickly. 
come again on your white horse, God, to judge the living and the dead. We, your church, await as your bride for you to come. So as has every single generation of the church. So whether we, you bring us up to yourself or you come to us, God, death awaits every one of us. Help us to wrestle with this. Help us to contemplate this. And with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you have been in church this morning and you are not a Christian when you came in here, but you are now, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been born again, confess your sin to Jesus, repent, ask God to help you repent. If that is you and you've walked in here this morning, raise your hand. We just wanna, I just want to pray for you, for those of you, any of you who've walked in this morning. You've been saved by the grace of God this morning. If there's any one of you, just go ahead and raise your hands up in the air. I see your hand in the back. God bless you. For you who raised your hand, I just want you to know this. It is faith in the name of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ that saves you. Nothing you've done. So no matter what good you bad or do you bad in this life, God's grace covers all of our sin. The Bible says that you should confess your sin. So confess your sin right now to the Lord. He is faithful and just, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Raising a hand doesn't save you. It is God who saves. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to walk in the newness of life. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. Thank you that you force us in your word to talk about uncomfortable things. God, thank you for being so loving that you would save anyone. You owe salvation to no one, but you save many, God. Thank you for doing that. For we all deserve hell. Help us to be heavenly-minded people, setting our mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. And let us be a people who are on mission, who love you, and who love people so that more people would come to know you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.